From Johannesburg to Jerusalem, the world is always changing, growing and innovating. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he brings you the trendsetters, the thought leaders and those creating news before it happens. Only on the New Blue Review, your favorite Jewish culture and current affairs show. Every Monday at 9 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is the New Blue Review. Welcome to the program on this Monday morning, the first of the New Jewish New Year. Uh, and it is really fantastic to be with you. And because it's a new year, we have uh, a whole bunch of new and interesting topics that we're going to be talking about on the show today. So I think it is going to be very, very interesting. And I'm looking forward to being with you for the next hour. Of course, it's also Yom Gedalia today. Uh, it's a, a fast day, minor fast day in the Jewish calendar where uh, we fast in commemoration of a governor of the province of Judea who was murdered by um, other, not actually by, by by people from outside of Israel, but from other fellow um, members of the tribe uh, for political reasons uh, because uh, and, and partly because Gedalia, who was this governor, had been appointed by the Babylonians, and so he he was considered as collaborating with the foreign regime, and so therefore was uh, um, considered a, a target by by those uh, by those forces, uh, and uh, he was considered a very good guy uh, because part of what you see we don't know too much about Gedalia, but uh, he was assassinated by a group of people, and he was warned uh, that. These people were coming to kill him, but they, they didn't, uh, he just took it as uh, hearsay. Uh, he didn't judge people. Uh, it did cost him his life, but it does show uh, he was the kind of person that, um, that he, that, that judged people favorably regardless of how they looked and what people said about them, which is certainly a lesson that we can all take forward today. So what do we have on the show for you today? What are we going to be talking about? Well, all sorts of things, really. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at the Shidduch crisis, people wanting to get married but can't seem to organize it. And we're going to be taking a leaf from the Japanese. We're going to be finding out what the Japanese are doing to work on their Shidduch crisis. We're going to be talking about one year since the death of Masha Amini uh, from Iran and uh, what has been the consequences of that for for the Iranian people and where are we with Iran at the moment. We'll be talking about the fact that Netanyahu is going on Twitter with Elon Musk. What could possibly go wrong? And we're also going to be finding out, since it has just been Rosh Hashanah, about a very special uh, bee, uh, or rather honey, uh, a very special honey that you can get, uh, which is an unusual honey, uh, and, and, and we're talking about, and we're also going to be talking about the establishment of the Israeli Air Force in 1948. So, lots and lots and lots to come. It is going to be absolutely fascinating. I humbly guarantee it. And if you want to be part of that conversation, you can be. You can SMS us, 345 That is the SMS line. You can telegram us, 61 and uh, be part of the conversation because we would love to hear from you about what you think of the various topics that we have under discussion here 
on the first day of the Jewish New Year. So let's start off with Japan uh, and talk about what is going on there with the Shidduch crisis and how the Japanese are trying to solve it. Uh, now, Japan is a very interesting country uh, it, because it's an island uh, and because for many, many years it was cut off from the rest of the world until the British and the Dutch arrived uh, and opened it up. But basically, as a country, it's essentially hostile to outsiders, both the culture, which is very kind of uh, stoic and solid, and the language is hard to learn, uh, and it's not a, a very a welcome environment if you're a foreigner. So that's uh, the important thing to say, uh, because the other issue with uh, Japanese culture just right at the moment is that they are not having enough children to replace uh, the ones that they currently have. So their population is in decline. The favored statistic uh, to explain this in Japan is that currently the number of adult diapers in Japan outsells the number of children's diapers. In other words, so many old people are using uh, nappies that uh, young people are not. And so in a society where you have this kind of drop in the birth rate, there's really only two things you can do. You can either have more children or you can bring in people from the outside. And because of the aforementioned hostility to outsiders, that is less of a option if you are the Japanese government or the Japanese people. Quite why it is that they're having a drop-off? Well, partly it seems to be that Japanese culture is very patriarchal. And so if you are a woman and you get married uh, and have children, it can severely affect your ability to work uh, and climb the corporate ladder. And it is a very, very productive uh, society. So because they work so hard, uh, having babies is seen as being uh, an interruption to that. And so it affects your uh, ability to work. And so that is what happens to young women. And so they would rather not get married and have children. And that is now affecting Japanese society. Uh, And in fact, uh, young people have entirely lost interest, it seems, in romantic engagements altogether. Once the marriage was taken off the table, uh, it seemed to be that um, uh, even dating seemed to be at much of a loss. So Japanese society is responding. And one of the things that they have done is taken to speed dating. Now, speed dating is something that I'm sure uh, people will know about when you have a, a lot of people that get together. And they, they sort of date one at a, one at a time for like two minutes and, and everyone sees one another. So that's fine. Except the young people are not interested. So the innovation that the Japanese are doing is that they're actually bringing in the parents. The parents arrive with a CV and a picture of their kids and they meet other parents and then they speed date the parents, uh, for two or three minutes and they have a whole discussion and they explain what uh, each of the child is and et cetera, et cetera, what they want, what they don't want, what the parents think they want. It's kind of Jewishy, and then they go off. And uh, if the parents think that it's a good match, then they tell the kids that they have to go see one another. So I don't know if this is a good way for us to solve uh, any of the matchmaking crises that we seem to have in our own community or worldwide in the Jewish community. Uh, but perhaps getting the parents to do and speed date one another is one way of doing it. Uh, I would be very interested in your perspective. Three, four, five. One nine is the SMS line. Uh, telegram us on 061-895-1019. I want to hear about your speed dating experiences, your general dating experiences, if you think that there's a shit crisis, and if you think that the Japanese model 
of bringing in the parents to do the speed dating, to figure it all out, is the way to go when we are talking about finding love and companionship and lifetime partnership in this world. That is what we would like to know. Do we have something to learn from the Japanese? That is the question. 34519 is the SMS line. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is Chai FM. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 Chai FM. Now, it is one year since the, uh, since the death of Masha Amini in Iran. And uh, we are talking about what that has meant for the Iranian people and the Iranian regime. And it is an important, I think, opportunity to reflect on that. Uh, and just talk about it because it is one of the big struggles, I think, in the world today. Uh, the, I'm taking information today for you from uh, the University of Cambridge website blog uh, by PhD candidate at the Center for Gender and Africa Studies at the University of uh, Free State. And uh, uh, it's written by Simone Becker uh, on this. So, and she has written this very interesting article uh, about it by just explaining what has been going on and what has been the effects of this uh, particular event in Iranian history. So just as a bit of background, if you're not so sure, about 365 days ago, uh, Masha Amini was killed. She was a 22-year-old Kurdish woman uh, who lost her life in police custody just two days after her arrest on September 13th at a train station in Tehran. Uh, her arrest was carried out by the Iranian Morality and Virtue Police, known as the Gache Erastad, and they were based on um, accusations of violating Iran's compulsory hijab law. So you have to wear a hijab uh, in Iran, uh, and she was arrested for this. And then she was essentially tortured uh, in jail and murdered. And th- her death triggered a massive uprising, uh, one of the biggest and longest periods of protest since 1979, with the hope really of changing the way that women are treated and perhaps even the regime that treats them that way in Iran. Because in 1979, as you may well know, an extremist uh, regime came to power in, uh, in, in, in Iran and imposed very strict by law, uh, Sharia law uh, issues on the, on the populace uh, through the Ayatollah. Khomeini and affected women's rights in particular in a lot of ways, including in marriage, child custody, and divorce. Uh, the lo- this included lowering the legal age of marriage for women from 18 to 9, uh, and that still stands today, where girls as young as 9 can be married in Iran. Now, the magnitude of the protest was actually enormously staggering uh, and went on for many, many weeks. And there was a huge crackdown by the Iranian state, uh, including uh, Iranian police forces who killed at least 527 protesters, including 17 uh, minors uh, as as well, that took place from about the September to January, so sort of six months. So what remains of this protest? Uh, it's, it's hard to say. Obviously, the Iranian regime is still there, and uh, and the regime is very concerned about independent um uh, uh, women's voices and they very have been tightening up on repressive measures ahead of the one year 
uh, uh, one year anniversary of, of Amini's arrest, including the slogan that came out of her arrest, which is woman, life and freedom, which ties together sort of woman into the fundamental rights of, of the whole of Iranian society that have been taken so far backwards by this regime. Uh, now, uh, there have been continues to be protests in different cities um, and, and chants against the regime, but uh, in many ways um, there are uh, there continues to be a lot of repression from the state. It's jacked up its state, um, and Iranian authorities have even gone so far as to literally judicially kill people, ex- executing them for disturbing the peace for essentially crimes of blasphemy, terrorism, counter-revolutionarism, all sorts of things like that. Um, and, and they continue to do all of these, uh, all of these, these things. 137 people have been uh, detained on charges of disturbing um, the, the public order, including some arrested um, a civil rights, actri- a civil rights activist, actress and women's rights advocate uh, from the west of the country. Uh, so there are all of these things that have been, been happening and, and the, the government continues to try and crack down on these protests. Uh, some, some people have been banished to remote villages if they uh, encourage people to uh, commemorate the death of Amini. Uh, and uh, the, the Revolutionary Guard Corps, which is basically the Iranian regime's uh, it's part of the government, but uh, effectively they're sort of police to make sure that nothing uh, untoward takes on the regime has been posted all over the country. Uh, on the international front, the United States of Britain are taken on significant actions ahead of the one-year anniversary. Uh, inclu- <coughs> these nations, including the EU, have opposed sanctions in Iran in response to the widespread and violent uh, crackdown. And other international partners have joined in this issue, in this, in this effort. In Israel, uh, there has also been, uh, unveiling of murals, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and other artistic representations to try and commemorate the death of this activist. However, at the same time, there, the, the United States has been negotiating with a hostage, uh, a hostage, um, release. With Iran, and it looks as though that with the United Nations coming up, uh, the president of Iran, um, Hisi, uh, is going to be uh, not only given the opportunity to attend the UN and do this big prisoner swap and get previously sanctioned money out of, for example, places like South Korea, uh, he will also be uh, be giving talks at think tanks and engaging various other countries. Uh, during his time. So, unfortunately, the Americans are talking with a little bit of a forked tongue on this issue, which is unfortunate. And uh, I think that eventually giving money to the regime is not going to assist when it comes to, uh, when it comes to this kind of problem. So, uh, that is the one-year anniversary. We can only wish uh, that uh, woman uh, a- and freedom reign in Iran. And that, uh, that they get their rights from this awful regime. Um, I'd love to hear what your views are. Um, 
Let us know. You can SMS us 34519 or you can telegram us 061-895-1019. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 Chai FM. That was Jeremy Loops and Ladysmith Black Mombazo with this town. Now we have had a little bit of feedback on uh, the discussion we were having earlier about the Japanese who are bringing their parents to speed dating events. Carol Zimmerman saying, morning, they want more technology, not children. I don't know if that's the Japanese or the people who are doing the dating or whatever, but thank you, Carol. And Gideon Lapita says, uh, unfortunately, during Jewish dating events and parties are very noisy and not conducive to actual sitting down and meeting someone. People just come for a night out with their friends and don't talk. Uh, some events don't even have enough food on offer and a complete waste of time and money. What is required is sit-down speed dating events with people who are really looking for partners uh, and with no bitter feelings. So if you have any other thoughts on uh, that, thank you for those who have contributed. SMS is 34519, and that's the SMS line, Telegram 0618951010. One nine. Now, if you're in shul or driving around over the weekend uh, or today, this morning, uh, you would have seen the posters that have gone up for the <clears throat> South African Zionist Federation's 50th conference. Uh, it's 125th year of its um, of its a uh, of of its existence. It's the oldest uh, communal organization in the country, uh, for at least at a national level, and and I see that they're bringing out Rabbi D uh, for for the conference, uh, which is uh, he was this rabbi whose whole family, well, not whole family, but a big uh, his wife and kids, uh, a number of them were killed in a um, in in a terrorist attack, uh, and he has responded in in very in very powerful ways to this, where I think uh, m- many other people would have not. So it's going to be very interesting to hear his uh, story and his. Uh, um, and, and his viewpoint on on what is going on uh, in Israel uh, from a, a different perspective as someone who's really felt it up front. And it is interesting to note about uh, the different contributions that people have made to the state of Israel, including from our own community, which uh, is interesting because it's 125 years. And so there are... This, this way predates the establishment of the state, which is 75 years. So the Jews in South Africa were organizing 50 years in advance of the state of Israel. And in fact, it's an interesting statistic that, um, that the, the South African Jewish community per capita gave more money to the state of Israel than anybody else uh, in the run-up to its establishment. And in absolute terms, actually was only behind, I think, the Americans and possibly the Canadians uh, in, in the amount of money that they gave. And right from the beginning, the Jewish community uh, had this Zionist Federation and was organizing and engaging people all over the world, including Theodore Herzl himself. Uh, there was a South African that was president present at the second Zionist conference, and uh, they uh, helped to support and engage with Herzl, uh, including doing a lot of political lobbying, people uh, that would become important later on, people like Jan Smuts, uh, who uh, was uh, important for the for the creation of the state, uh, and even early attempts to get India on board through uh, Gandhi. Uh, Gandhi was not a big um, Zionist in the political sense of the word, but his 
best friends were, uh, particularly Herman Kallenbach, who had been his supporter in the, the Tolstoy farm and a number of their initiatives, and you can still go to some of their house today. And Kallenbach became a, a big uh, a, a Zionist uh, after he decided that passive resistance was not the way to stop the Nazis. And um, and so he uh, he actually he actually tried to lobby uh, Gandhi and on behalf of the in, uh, Israeli government uh, to be to try and get him support for Zionism and eventually Indian support. That wouldn't come, uh, unfortunately. But many years later, uh, of course, India is now one of Israel's best friends in the region. So uh, that was a sort of interesting <coughs> early attempt. To, to get some, uh, to get some, some diplomatic support. Also in the military realm, uh, there was a lot of volunteers from South Africa who went to fight in 48, uh, to, to defend the newly created state of Israel, including a number of non-Jews, which is very interesting, uh, doing things like nursing, uh, and that sort of stuff. The South Africans went, about 804 of them, and they volunteered to fight. Again, one of the biggest contingents of uh, people, Jews around the world, who came to fight. And South Africans were actually instrumental in helping to establish the the Israeli Air Force. Um, they had um, experience from World War II, having fought in British squadrons, and they helped to get uh, the Air Force up and running and organized, including one Cecil Margo, uh, who was a pilot at the time, and later on would become a judge. If you've ever heard of the Margo Commission of Inquiry, uh, he he would, became a famous aviation expert uh, and would uh, would um, investigate aviation disasters. So he was important. Uh, and people like um, Smokey Simon, who only just died in the last couple of years, who was over a hundred by the time he died, uh, were all air pilots in the new Air Force of Israel at the time, and. The creation of uh, the creation of uh, radar was done to the South Africans, as well as the creation of new places for people to stay. So, for example, Ashkelon, the town of Ashkelon. If you go there today, you will see that there's a street called Karpstadt Street, which means literally Cape Town, as you may well know. And that was because South African Jews were very invested and focused in creating uh, new places for immigrants to go, including lots of uh, ways to create business. And the first postal service, if you can believe it, in Israel was actually run through uh, some of the South African Zionist Federation offices. So very, very interesting. And just the different ways in which uh, South Africans contributed uh, to the creation of the State of Israel is absolutely fascinating and something which I think we can be very proud of. If you know of any stories, I'd love to hear them. Maybe you have family of people who are engaged in the, in some kind of activism at that time. Uh, 34519, that is, uh, the SMS line. And Telegram is 061-895-1019. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 High FM is your shopping list longer and your time shorter. The Skim Delivered has you covered. From healthcare essentials to baby food, beauty, and toiletries, whatever you need, Discam Delivered has you covered. Download the easy-to-use Discam app and shop over 10,000 products at in-store prices 
that will be delivered to you within 60 minutes. Now you can relax while Diskem delivers your essentials to you. It is that simple. Diskem delivered from Diskem to you. Diskem pharmacies. Better start, better health starts here. And you are listening to the new Blue Review, uh, on this Monday morning. And we've just been dis- discussing a whole bunch of issues for the new year. And, uh, and if you want to be part of the conversation, you are more than welcome to join in. Uh, you can SMS us 345 one nine, or you can telegram us on o six one eight nine five one o one nine, and we would uh, be very happy to take your call or your voice note or uh, whatever it is that you want to send about any of the topics that we are talking about, of which there are a few still more interesting ones which we are going to be covering uh, in this run up. So, one of them has to do with. Benjamin Netanyahu, he's heading on out up to the, <clears throat> excuse me, he's heading on out to the United Nations General Assembly. This, uh, this coming, I think he just left. Uh, he's going to be protested. He was protested at Ben-Gurion Airport. They're protesting him, uh, in, in, in the USA, including um, in, including uh, members of the Jewish community over this electoral reform stuff. But what is interesting, more interesting, unusual, one could say, is that he is going to also be doing an interview with a very unusual person, and that is Elon Musk. Uh, and that is going to be very interesting to he- see and hear, where he's co- apparently going to be talking about uh, a variety of these things. I do think that uh, it will be interesting from a number of perspectives, partly because uh, Netanyahu wants to use this as an opportunity to talk about the, the reforms uh, and get his message and his side of the viewpoint across. So that that will be uh, that will be one thing. But a- another element which is going to be very interesting is they're going to be talking about the issue of anti-Semitism because a row has been brewing bef- uh, between. Uh, Elon Musk and the Anti-Defamation League about the use of Twitter to spread <coughs> anti-Semitism because the ADL has been uh, demanding that Twitter take uh, Holocaust denial and anti-Semitism on the platform more seriously. Musk doesn't uh, believe that it's a problem or or believes the ADL, ADL is wrong in some way. It's, it's hard to say exactly what he thinks on this and has even started – a sort of targeted campaign uh, against uh, against them in some ways, saying, well, maybe he should deplatform the ADL from the site uh, and has been threatening to do polls to talk about it. And in the process of that, uh, a lot of anti-Semitism has, has come out. Uh, Musk is a very um, controversial figure, as we know, uh, but there's certainly no, there's been nothing up to this point which suggests that he hates Jews or wants to promote anti-Semitism, but Twitter has always been a problem in this regard, uh, and it hasn't gotten any better since Musk took over. So it is going to be interesting to see how Netanyahu, who, who know, who, who, whatever else you might say about him, knows America really well. He knows American people, spent a lot of time there, has a very good relationship with a lot of American senators and Republicans and uh, particularly, and so him talking to Musk, I think, will be a very interesting uh, uh, something that happens, and will be interesting to see how he manages to parlay off his domestic agenda 
with his international agenda, which includes the fact that they want the Saudis to do a peace deal um, with uh, to do a peace deal with Israel, which they are now currently saying they don't want to do uh, because the Americans are not offering enough security guarantees. And there's the issue of the Palestinians, as always. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, Avi Mayer, in the editor of the Jerusalem Post, by the way, has done a really interesting article on this issue with the, the ADL and also the fact that the ADL has been attacked from the left uh, by anti-Zionists who are angry with the fact that it uh, supports a lot of Democratic Party initiatives but is also very pro-Israel. So it, it sits in an interesting space. It effectively is the voice on the left that also um, or in the democratic part of the of the the democrat part of the the polit- political system that is um, being attacked from both sides uh, the right and the left, which does tell you that it 's probably doing something right and be interesting to see if Bibi is able to calm down the the discussion with Musk and what a, a Twitter discussion like this might even look like um, or x as it 's now known uh, so I think that that will be. Uh, extremely interesting and uh, something that we will be have to watch and see uh, and, and maybe even get a sense about what Netanyahu might say around uh, the coalition and, and maybe he'll use it as some way to, to get some other speaking points across. So I'd love to hear from you. What do you think will be some of the topics that Netanyahu and Musk will speak about? You can SMS us 34519. That is the SMS line. Telegram us 61 8951019, and that will give you, uh, or rather give me, a perspective of what you're thinking, uh, and I would love to hear it and to really get a sense about what you think Musk and Netanyahu are going to talk about, and maybe give me a sense about something a bit more relaxed. Like, if you were Musk and Netanyahu and you had to not talk about all the hardcore stuff, like, <coughs> what is the things that you would want to talk about if you were talking to Either of them, I would, I would love to hear that. Um, uh, 34519-061-895-1019. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 Chai FM. Now, it has just been Rosh Hashanah, and that means honey. Everyone knows that it means honey. Uh, but the question is, can the honey that we eat be made more interesting and more uh, impactful uh, in the way that we eat it. Because, of course, if you eat honey, there's all sorts of kinds of raw honey and badger-friendly honey and honey that comes from multiple countries that may not even be honey. It's very hard to tell. So a new product has been launched, 100% raw honey, kosher-certified, FDA-approved, environmentally-friendly social impact honey, which is Quite a lot for one small jar, and it sounds very sweet. So what is it all about? It's called the Ubuntu Beekeeping Project, uh, and it's run by a group called Mensch Down in Cape Town, who are a Jewish social change organization. And uh, the Jewish Joint Distribution Committee um, have worked with them to create a, a beekeeping project, which also actually uses Israeli technology uh, to help train women beekeepers so that they can boost their income and build a better future for their families. And uh, they have uh, created a honey. It's called Beloved Honey. And uh, the founder, Sesejo uh, Serolong, uh, is, is playing a mentoring role and offering support and guidance to beekeepers as they 
master their craft. And she also creates connections with um, with different people so that uh, they're able to market the honey in different places. So you can actually get it in the South African Jewish Museum and the Witzel Yomtov market. Uh, and 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 it helps to actually help these women so that they can um, run uh, their their programs and um, and 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 feed their families. Uh, so Lesejo is the um, is, is was listed as one of the Mail and Guardian's 200 uh, top South Africans and Standard Bank's top woman of the year, and she re- also received the Trailblazers Presidential Award. Uh, and is a founder of Bakamaso Impact in- Investments. She has a Master of Science in Social Policy and Development from the London School of Economics uh, and um, is actually an orphan. Because of this, had a deep desire to give back to the community that raised her. Uh, and so in this way, she has been uh, running these uh, beehives and helping these women create the bees. And then you can actually go out and be the change in the world by buying this honey. So if you want to check it out, go check out Mensch, um, Mensch Network, and they have their uh, look for their Ubuntu Honey Project because Be Loved is just one of those that is uh, working to uh, to do that. And I just think it's a great way to um, to uh, to make Rosh Hashanah just that a little bit more impactful uh, in in our world. So. Yeah, that is that is something on honey uh, for our show for today. To hope that you enjoyed it, and uh, would like to, you know, if you want to uh, go actually see any of that stuff, you can always head on to our website, listen to our podcast. Uh, we we play all of it, all of our interviews uh, with everyone, which is just uh, fantastic. So that is it. Brings us to the end of the show for today. Thank you so much. For joining us, thank you to the whole team who puts everything together. Craig, who pushes all the big red buttons. Mashadi, who's on the production. Vusi's on the sound. To you, dear listener, who joins us every single week, do join us again next week. And for those fasting, hope it goes well. Shana Tova, a good new, year, good sweet new year to everyone from our family on Chai FM. I won't see you next week. It's Yom Kippur, but the week after, we will be back with your favorite Jews, news, culture, and current affairs from all over the world.